It has been another rock and roll week in the news in South Florida, and we want to try now to make some sense of the top stories with our powerhouse roundtable. As always, we've got a good one for you. Rafael Yaniz is a political analyst and attorney in Miami who I think comes at things generally from the center right. He will tell me differently if I'm wrong. <laughs> Melba Pearson is the deputy director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Florida, a former Miami-Dade County assistant state attorney. Mario Lee Cancio is an attorney with her own firm in Miami, and she is an influential voice in Republican politics. Good morning. Great Good to morning. Good morning. You all come in. So let me begin with the, the esteemed Melba Pearson. You know, here the president Tuesday night in Orlando, uh, a kind of a buffo performance, 20,000 people in that arena, but he spent a lot of his time sort of litigating old battles. I mean, he talked about uh, Hillary Clinton a lot, about the Mueller report, uh, instead of things that he's really got going for him, like a great economy. Why, why do you think that is? The entire rally to me struck me as a rerun of 2016, right? He basically hit play and did the same thing all over again. And the other thing that perturbed me was that there was no discussion about the things that brought our country together, right? So, or how can we move forward? It was all about divisiveness and anger. And I also want to point out how that Orlando Sentinel reporter got hit in the crowd. And I think it was Representative Sabatini, the one who had appeared in blackface previously yeah. several years ago, had been like, oh, make America great again. So again, that same tone and tenor of divisiveness is still present. And he has currently almost close to 200 lawsuits against him, a lot of them filed by the ACLU. So, the, you know, the walking constitutional crisis hasn't changed and nothing he said on stage yeah. changed that yeah, fact. Yeah. But morally, I mean, as always, the president is kind of a mixed metaphor. There are things to admire. He's a great communicator. He really reaches people. But then, you know, going back over this past battles, you know, relitigating Hillary Clinton, for goodness sake, 30,000 emails. I mean, that's something that's in the past. But I think it's something that appeals to his base. We need to have a bad guy on the other side. And he was very effective in his campaign in 2016, having her as the opponent. Uh, we don't know who's going to be the Democratic nominee. Yeah. So he's still using uh, her. I think he had a good message for his base. A lot of successes. Are you better off now than you were four years ago? The economy is doing much better. You know, there's so many positive points, criminal justice reform, that passing in a bipartisan manner, how he's Two renegotiating Supreme so Court many justices, things. So. No, more of federal uh, court appointees than any other president in this period of time, how the world as a whole, even with what's happening uh, with Iran right now, it's a safer place. He's negotiating. This is not a warmongering president. He wants peace. Yeah. He's an ally of Israel, economy doing well. Yeah, and could, he, but he yes. wants peace. I mean, he's, he's calling for a leader. He's rocket man. He's, you know, going to Mon. And didn't he uh, try to call off his, uh, there were strikes against Iran or something. Yeah. He was going to launch yeah. a strike, a missile strike against yeah. Iran, and then he called it off. So yeah. that to me is not somebody more, more likely than not, the international community and our allies spoke with him because it's better to have an international response. I mean, it was a Japanese oil tanker, one of the two tankers that right. were sunk last week. And, and we have to think about what our international response should look like. We shouldn't be America alone when the entire world faces the absolutely. threat from Hezbollah yeah. and Iran. You need a coalition of allies. Well, Correct. everybody, hold on just a minute. We want to show you, if you happen to miss the big rally Tuesday night and the surprise announcement that he's running for re-election, here's a little bit of what the president had to say.
Our radical Democrat opponents are driven by hatred, prejudice, and rage. They want to destroy you, and they want to destroy our country as we know it. Not acceptable. It's not going to happen. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's what, the pot calling the kettle black. What a dark, dystopian <laughs> message. It sort of harkens back, uh, Raphael, to his inaugural address. He had some of that same kind of language so, then. So I'm glad you brought that up because I want to draw a parallel to rock concerts and musicians, right? Yeah. When you go see a, music a musician promoting their new album, you're not only hearing their greatest hits from the new album, yeah. you're gonna hear all of their hits, anything that's played well with their audience before. Yeah. So to your point earlier, everything that Trump has received a massive applause line for, he's going to bring out in every rally. Yeah, well, this like, is about our lock, democracy. This lock is not her, a concert, lock yeah. her up. I mean, but yeah. you're right; it does appeal. But, but Michael, sadly, you know, you had CNN just cutting off the rally, and after like six or seven minutes, and not showing the rally. Now, Fox News or the Fox Channel that has number one ratings in cable news, you know, and other stations show the rally, but MSNBC, CNN, they just cut off. And I think it, that's not positive. I think everybody should have heard the message. Someone says, well, maybe CNN doesn't want to show it at airports. They don't want people all over to hear this message. But, uh, uh, you know, I thought that the rally wa was good. It showed a lot of enthusiasm. He raised almost $25 million in 24 hours, yeah. like more than like the five top Democratic candidates combined in their first 24 hours. It, w it was a remarkable amount of fundraising, $24 million. He went out to the Trump National Doral mm -hmm. uh, on Wednesday. I was standing outside trying to find out what was going on, but apparently a hundred people were there, gave six million dollars uh, to have lunch and have a photo taken uh, with the president. Uh, you know, Melba, I have to say the Washington Post has a very strong piece uh, in the paper today in which they point out that about a third of the political events the president has had happen at Trump properties, and he realizes a profit from all the people who go and stay uh, and attend these events. And that is a clear conflict of interest. I mean, we have the emoluments clause, which is in place to prevent elected officials from benefiting personally from their from their role as, yeah. instead of serving the people. And again, this is yeah. something that needs to be addressed. And you know, if Congress is not willing to do it, then the voters need to address it at the ballot box next November. Well, Congress, I don't think is very interested. One. Lone congressman from Tennessee has said, hey, this is wrong, but I don't hear any, any, any great outcry. Um, uh, Raphael, the, the president's message could be, you know, I think that Mara Lee is right. The stock market this week hit an all-time high. The economy, even though it looks like it may slow down a little bit in the coming quarter or two, the economy is buzzing along. Unemployment at 3.5%. I mean, there are some really good things that he could and perhaps should be talking about more. Right. And unfortunately, talking about almost being at full employment and talking about how minority groups that disproportionately have shared high unemployment rates are now more employed than ever before. He's not talking about it because he and his team probably don't think that's going to sell. That's not going to necessarily motivate. He did talk about the economy briefly during the rally last week, but yeah. he's not he's not going to go into the nitty-gritty details. We've all read the reports that he doesn't really want to read, that he, he prefers uh, uh, sound bites. He's a, he's a man of television. He was made with television. Right. He's not going to sit there and read an economic report or a jobs report to a 20,000-strong crowd in Orlando. Yeah, but he knows how to be on TV, no question. Well, everybody, hold your thoughts. We're going to come back, talk about this new poll that shows in fact, President Trump losing to Joe Biden in Florida. We'll have that when we come back.
Welcome back. We are in the midst of a roundtable with the estimable Raphael Yanis, attorney, also Melba Pearson, an attorney, Marley Cancio, an attorney. I am not an attorney. <laughs> We're starting a law firm today. Right. Um, Imagine. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, let's, let's talk a little bit about a, uh, I, I think, I don't know, astounding but kind of surprising poll. Marley, this week, the Quinnipiac University poll came out. This is a reputable poll. They're actually pretty accurate. And we want to put the numbers up on the screen so people at home can see. But it found that in Florida, Joe Biden would beat Donald Trump if the election were today 50 to 41 percent. And even Bernie Sanders uh, would beat President Trump 48-42. Elizabeth Warren, Beto O'Rourke, even Mayor Pete would tie with him. Um, I don't put a lot of credence in polls this early, but wh what's your impression? You know, uh, it's a picture in time of a group of people, and that's what they found. But those same polls said Andrew Gillum would win by seven points. Those same polls had Hillary Clinton beating Trump all along. So uh, I don't put a lot of weight in those polls. We still have a long way to go, uh, 15 months to the general election. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, those, months. Yeah. those polls really don't, don't mean much to me right now. Yeah, but uh, Melba, the one thing the poll does say to me is that even though the, the president's base in Florida and across the country is fairly stable at 40, 42 percent, uh, there are a lot of people who like the economy or like some other things that he does, but he is, you know, he is just not that popular with people, and I don't think he can pretend otherwise. That's absolutely true. I mean, the news that's been in the headlines for the last couple of years have been between children in cages and, you know, uh, being derogatory towards different immigrant groups and, you know, all of that. After a while, people are tired of it and want to get back to government and policies and the economy and criminal justice reform and the things that they care about on a day-to-day -day basis. But I do agree with Mary Lee, these are early days, right? And we yeah. learned the hard way in 2016 that the polls can be completely wrong. So And they were and, wrong. And they were wrong. And so it's a matter of focusing were. on the issues and making yeah. sure we're holding all the candidates accountable and finding out what their positions are on the issues Michael, that what, we care what about. the context is missing from these polls, especially this early on with a Democratic field numbering in the 20s, you don't know how voters, the middle-of-the-road voter in Florida, let's use our home state, is going to look at their choice, Democrat X or Donald Trump. And they're going to say, they're going to weigh, mm -hmm. how's the economy? Do I trust this newcomer? Do I want to give my next four years potentially to this newcomer? And they might go with, I prefer the devil I know, even if I don't like him versus the devil I don't know. And I think there's another point, which is whether that candidate is going to energize the Democratic base to go out and vote, right. or are they going to be, or the Republicans are going to be energized to go out and vote more so. I think a lot of Republicans were very energized to go vote against Senator Clinton. And so let's see who that other person's yeah. going to be. And I think it's going to be key. And Florida's key. We're going to be seeing all the events down mm -hmm. here. We're, we're going to see all the politicians down in Florida right. because whoever wins Florida is going to win the election. No candidate has won the presidency without Florida Absolutely. since 1924, almost 100 years. Yeah. And we're going to have 800,000 or more new voters as a result of Amendment 4. So that's going to be an interesting mm -hmm. dynamic. Do you think that high? Do you really think it's going to yeah. be that, that many? 
Uh, they're Melba, not all Democrats, unlike right. what some people uh, fear. Well, I'd say no. 95. So, not even right. I was there. I actually watched folks get registered, oh, really? and many of them registered. They told me after, yeah. I didn't ask, I didn't inquire, but many indicated they were registering as independents mm -hmm. because they had waited so long to get their right to vote back that they were not going to just give it away to either party. Yeah. They wanted to learn about the issues. Granted, we have our primary issue, which is a separate, you know, they're going to have to make a decision. But right. at least they're looking to look at all the issues and all the candidates and yeah. make an educated decision. Right. Uh, Raphael, on Wednesday and Thursday of this coming week, going to be fascinating. Uh, Miami will be the political capital of the country <laughs> yes. when the Democratic candidates for president all debate two consecutive nights down at the Arts Center and uh, 10 on one night, 10 on another. Uh, and, you know, the one who got the really luckiest draw, I think, is Elizabeth Warren on the first night. She will really have a platform, and her campaign seems to have been energized in the last five or six weeks because of ideas you know she has got a plan for everything maybe too many plans i mean didn't hillary clinton have a plan for everything how'd that work out you know right i think elizabeth warren is going to be the the one to watch on Wednesday night and it's it's truly going to be amazing to see if her team has used the last year you know all the missteps that they did at the rollout of her campaign when Trump right. was pointing out you know her, her um, state bar application in Texas uh, that she mislabeled her her ethnicity so uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren I may not agree with uh, personally agree with every point she does but you have to recognize she is a powerful communicator she knows how to hold attention and she yeah. knows how to communicate yeah. very complex ideas without talking down to people uh, I happen to think that she is far to the left of where Florida is politically but I mean she is an effective communicator well I would think that the ticket is going to be Biden Warren I believe that a woman is going to really? be in that ticket and uh, I'm calling it now. You can ask Biden me. Biden Warren, wow. <laughs> Writing that hey, one down. Thought, right, exactly. I don't, I don't see Elizabeth Warren taking a, a, a VP slot. Yeah. yeah, I see Kamala Harris taking that slot. But Maybe. Then, who but knows? Being, being a senator is sometimes more powerful than being a VP. You don't True. want to campaign Depending. for the number two spot. Right. No, you True. do not. All right, stay with us. More roundtable after a break. We are glad you are with us this morning here for the roundtable. Let's talk a little bit about the hearings that have gone on this week in Tallahassee. Uh, Melba for Scott Israel, the former Broward County Sheriff. He is trying to get his job back. He is saying, I wasn't incompetent. I didn't neglect my duty. I trained these people. I can give them everything but leadership. I can't give them courage. Exactly. I, and again, obviously, we have to let the process run its course, let the hearings finish and see what decision that the Senate comes to. But at the end of the day, I'm still disturbed by the precedent of removing elected officials in this manner. The people elected Sheriff Israel. If they are unhappy with the job that he did, it is the people alone who should be able to remove him. And obviously, Deputy uh, Scott Peterson is now, well, he's facing charges, which is a separate issue. But at the end of the day, the, the issue lies with him him and the officers who did not act in a timely manner. Yeah. I disagree with Melba because the people did elect Governor Ron DeSantis and they, they made their voice clear on the campaign trail. He's, uh, you know, Scott Israel was elected by a majority Democrat county. Governor DeSantis, no secret, is a Republican. And when he was campaigning for votes, he made it clear, I hear you, I will take action. And the people of Parkland deserve better, you know, and not, not just Parkland because the, the BSO unfortunately botched the response of the Fort Lauderdale shooting as well. So it wasn't at a one-strike-you're-out. Right, right yeah. at the airport at Fort Lauderdale. So yeah. it's not a one-strike-you're-out kind of deal yeah. with Governor Scott Israel, uh, excuse me, with Governor Ron DeSantis uh, going against uh, Sheriff Scott Israel, but he made the right call. He listened to the will of the people and he acted within his constitutional duties. But what about the 
will of the people of the people of Broward, right? Because you're pointing out the, the demographic differences. Doesn't yeah. their voice count? If well, they want to get rid it, of them, it, let them do so in I November. thought it was a very popular decision when he made that press conference and he was surrounded by all the parents of the Parkland victims. Yeah. Uh, in that Democratic county, everybody that was there was very much in favor. I mean, if you look at... Uh, the polls, most people in Broward, I think, were in favor of that. By the way, he, he, appoint, he appointed a Democrat to replace Scott Israel and one with key experience with mass shooting and training uh, people in yeah, response sure, to mass Gregory, shooting. Sheriff Gregory, Tony, who is running for re-election. You know, uh, Melba, I would point out that when Brenda Snipes was removed by the governor uh, for incompetence and not doing her job, there wasn't this kind of outcry because it was pretty demonstrable. There had been serious problems in the Broward County elections office. But at the same token, I'm always concerned when you have elected officials that are able to exercise this type of power yeah. and do so so frequently, right? Yeah. Because we didn't have this for many years. Well, let's let's draw a parallel that I, I've raised in the past that uh, for the former governor acted against the chair of the Broward Health System and, yeah. and David DiPietro. And David DiPietro went to court Right. And he sought a, an order. The judge ordered a quo warranto hearing. And I, I felt really bad watching from the sidelines, seeing the, the poor lawyers from the attorney general's office uh, going representing the governor and, and trying to say, judge, you know, I'm here doing my job. I'm here so I don't get fined type of response to yeah. the judge. Well, and we should point out, Scott Israel also went to court uh, with Ben Cuny, a very fine attorney, and they lost. I mean, they lost and there. They, they lost, lost in the appellate court. Yeah. 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 That's so, why he's at the Senate now. Yeah. Right, exactly. You know, if we can, before we run out of time, I want to, it, it's sort of a, a sore subject with me, a, a, a dear subject, which is the Coconut Grove Playhouse. I went there for many years. I think it was a great cultural institution. And now the Miami-Dade County, uh, Marley, has sued the city of Miami to try to uh, go ahead and move forward with its plan, which would demolish the auditorium, the playhouse itself, preserve the exterior, which is protected by historic preservation uh, laws. Uh, what's going to happen here? Look, nothing has been happening for a long time. I think when you drive through Coconut Grove and you see that playhouse all boarded up, yeah. it's a travesty. And something has to be done. The state which owns the property gave it to Miami-Dade County. City of Miami, the historic board, is the one that controls the appearance of the theater. So there is a fight over you know, whether the demolition of the back part, if you look from the back, it looks like a warehouse. It's a box, yeah. it's a, so uh, Miami, now it's suing to revert the veto because the Miami Commission voted in favor, but uh, Mayor Suarez, a friend of mine, Francis, uh, vetoed that decision, and it has to do with historic preservation. Uh, the Miami Parking Authority would be the one that would be funding these renovations by creating a parking a garage right next door, yeah, which is very much It's one of several parties needed. involved. But yeah. I think it's a very political matter, but I yeah. do have hope knowing the parties involved that they're going to reach a resolution because that's what most people yeah. in the city of Miami and Miami-Dade County want. I think most people want a playhouse to be open, whether it's 300 seats or 700 seats has to be determined. You know, we should point out also that part of what's going on here is a political feud between Miami-Dade County Mayor Carlos Jimenez and City of Miami Mayor Francis It's Suarez. almost collateral damage, unfortunately. The people are suffering, and, and so is the Coconut Grove community. But I, I, I don't think the, the county's lawsuit against the city really has a snowball's chance in hell right now just by the dynamics. The Mayor Suarez exercised his, his duties as mayor, and he yeah. vetoed it. It hasn't been overridden yet, and so it I don't... It was not I, overridden... 
because they needed to have a supermajority. Correct. And, 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 they, and they had, they three. only, they had, only three. had three. Yeah. Correct. That is going to be the final word. Thank you all for coming in. Thank really you. appreciate Thank it. You. Always a great roundtable with you. All right, still to come, my personal perspective about the passing of a great lady, a South Florida icon, Sister Jean.